0: Uh, Amen. Uh, Welcome everyone to our New Hope uh, Uptown worship service. So glad to be able to worship with all of you. And I'm just so thankful for our band who have been so faithfully serving and leading us into worship. Um, And it really isn't just music. It really just isn't sing-along time. But I just love the ways that consistently, especially today, our brother Terry just reminding us of why we sing these songs why we wake up earlier on sundays and it's all because we celebrate we need to reflect upon we need to be reminded of what jesus christ has done on our behalf and i love how all those songs really emphasize that and how the things that terry shared really put those things in its proper perspective uh deacon paul thank you so much for that prayer and for reminding us that jesus is truly the author perfector the alpha omega especially in times like these i feel like that aspect of jesus is not only true, but provides tremendous hope, uh, especially for many of us who are experiencing a lot of vulnerability. Um, Again, just want to welcome everyone. And as I mentioned last week at the end of uh, our worship service, I'm just so thankful for this community where we're not only worshiping together on Sundays, but even throughout the week, I see the love of Jesus, the implications of the gospel being played out within the ways that we are loving and supporting each other in our community. Uh, So I just ask, Uh, For some people to take some pictures If you have any pictures of your small group Of any interactions, please send them my way I think especially during this pandemic Where we are pretty much socially isolated It's good to be able to share some of these things Um, This is Danny Annie's family So uh, Theodore is the older one But they just had a newborn His name is Cameron And we dropped off uh, a name I think it was uh, made by Nain um, Of Micah's name And uh, yeah, that's Micah, the one with Danny, and that Annie is with Theodore. Um, And then here's another picture of uh, Christina and Augie and their um, son Mike. I'm sorry, did I get the names mixed up? Micah is Christina and Augie's child. Cameron and Theodore are Danny and Annie's children. So hopefully I didn't get that mixed up. But this is uh, us dropping off some of the names there. Uh, I, I think it was Nain and my wife Jeannie and maybe some other people as well. And Christina, it looks like it's a face of disgust. But it's really an expression of just being overwhelmed by just how amazing that name looks. Uh, it does spell out Micah. We did spell it right. Everything is, is good. Uh, so you can see them being just very happy. So this is just a one way of just reminding us that the Holy Spirit is stirring in our hearts. Uh, With community, with fellowship And it's not just us taking cute pictures of babies But even as I've been part of uh, my own small group And as I've been hearing from other people's small groups It's just been so encouraging The type of conversations that we're having And us constantly reminding and pointing each other to Jesus Christ Uh, Even this past week, I've been able to meet new people for the very first time over Zoom (laughs) And as we had the Zoom conversation, we just had to laugh at just the weirdness of all of this. I never thought in my life that I would actually meet somebody brand new uh, via Zoom. I mean, I've had like business meetings over Zoom uh, for people that I've never met before, but those are just business, and the objective was business. But having these type of conversations where it's about community, where it's about relationship, and meeting people for the very first time on Zoom, it is, it is awkward, but actually it makes it that much more meaningful. Because of the awkwardness and because of all the odds against us, so to speak, it really just makes it that much more apparent that the Holy Spirit is moving people's hearts and we're doing things that we would have never thought we would do before the pandemic. And all of this is just to show that God is an unstoppable force. Jesus is truly the author and perfecter and he is still doing his work even in the midst of this pandemic. So I just wanted to just share some of these things as a praise report, There are some other pictures that I'm going to share uh, at the conclusion of our sermon as a prayer request. But before we get to that, uh, let's begin with the sermon, the Word of God, that speaks so powerfully and so relevantly in our lives. Um, As some of us have been a part of the sermon series, we are actually already at the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to spend a little bit longer time in this chapter because there is just so much there to unpack. And then in the coming weeks, we're actually going to go right into Second Thessalonians. And then before you know it, Advent season is upon us. And 2020 is a wrap. It's pretty crazy how time is just moving so quickly. And for the title of this sermon is um, Walk This Way. So I was talking to some of the AV uh, people behind the scenes earlier this morning. And they have no idea where this phrase comes from. Um, this phrase is actually a title of a song. I don't know, Aerosmith. Run DMC made a cover of it, and it was actually a very important song in music history and even in the sneaker industry as well. But the reason why I labeled this sermon, Walk This Way, is because it actually points to a much more significant problem that I see in many Christians. Um, It's not just in the Greater Toronto Area context, but I would say it's really our sinful tendency is many times when we think about the gospel, when we think about walking with Jesus, the things that we truly focus on the most, unfortunately, is we just need to walk this way. We need to talk this way. We need to behave a certain way. We need to act a certain way. And basically, we're pressuring ourselves to try to imitate Jesus. And what that leads to, unfortunately, is a lot of frustration, a lot of self just being misled, a lot of, I think, in the end, is actually, frankly, very offensive to God. And the best one metaphor that you can think of is it's almost like you're trying to learn how to dance. And you're trying to pick up the choreography. You're trying to pick up all the nuances of where your feet are supposed to move, how your hips are supposed to um, bend, and all these different things. But we're doing all these things without actually listening to the music without allowing the beat and the rhythm to compel our bodies and our limbs to move a certain way. Instead, we're so fixated on making sure that we move a certain way, to dance a certain way, without the music, without the song. And what does that lead to? It leads to a lot of frustration. It leads to a lot of awkwardness. It leads to a lot of just feeling like this is not the right way I'm supposed to dance. And I think if all of us were honest with ourselves, there are at least many seasons We're in our Christian lives, in our walks with Jesus. It does feel that way, doesn't it? It feels a little awkward. It feels a little frustrating. And my diagnosis to this, and as we're going to see in this passage, is we're so focused on the dance and we're not listening to the music. We're so focused on walking this way, talking this way, behaving this way, acting this way, and we actually lose sight of the fact of what is our identity? What is our destiny? What is the spiritual reality of what Jesus Christ has done? And as we've been talking about over the past few months, much more explicitly, is the fact that we have been united with Christ. How there has been a heart transplant. How it is His Spirit that is taking over our spirit. Those are the things that I think we really need to focus on. And as we listen to that music, I think that will compel us to be able to dance the way God wants us to. So that's sort of the perspective that we're going to take a look into as we look at this passage. Let me pray for us one last time, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that your word is so timeless. It truly is relevant for all seasons of our lives. We thank you for your word because it is true. It's not just relevant. It's not just a nice way of looking at our lives and puts things into. You know, a happy perspective that brings some type of solace and a semblance of peace in the midst of the chaos. But your word is actually true. Historically, these things happened. Spiritually, this is the reality. So I pray, Holy Spirit, may you sear these truths into our hearts. May you inject them into our veins. May it truly transform the way we live, think, The way we see life, the way we see you, the way we see ourselves, the way we see even our relationships, the way we interpret this, this entire existence, may it truly be determined and dictated by what you have done on that cross. That we no longer live, but it is you that lives in us. And yes, there is some pain involved because we need to be crucified, but Lord, this is the way our lives are meant to be lived. This is the way where we can actually experience true joy the true peace, the true love that comes when our hearts finally worship you the way we were created to. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. I also pray for um, people who are worshiping with us. We know that the YouTube format is not the most engaging, but Holy Spirit, all we need is your presence and all you, we need is your word. May you captivate our hearts. May you fight for the attention of our minds. May you protect us from distractions, and may we be locked in because these are not just some words that were written 2,000 years ago. These are not just the opinions that I have. This is the word of God. This, These are your words, eternal words that will last into the future, into the new heavens and the new earth. This is the foundation of our faith. So may we take heed. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name, amen. Again, just so excited to be able to preach the gospel to all of us here um, I do understand that this sermon, we're not going to be able to unpack everything I'm coming at it at a very specific perspective Based on many of the conversations that I've had with the people in our community So, if there are questions that you have, please, please text them away If you have any prayer requests, any prayers that you want to utter on behalf of the congregation or for yourself Please text these away, all of these are anonymous and we will, try to, we will address all of them, and they are really great ways for us to make God's Word that much more engaging and meaningful in our lives. So like I mentioned, we have a temptation, the tendency, to focus on walking a particular way, talking a particular way. I illustrated this in some of the previous sermons, and we're going to do this again. I'm going to read through this passage, and I'm going to walk through the way we typically read Scripture, and the way we typically read is the focus is usually on us. What do I now have to do? What is my response? What do I, how do I apply this thing? And yes, those things are important. But if those things are not grounded, if they are not within the perspective of what God has done for us, wow, not only are we misleading ourselves, not only are we going to look awkward like that dancer who's trying to dance without the music, but it is just downright offensive to God. So let me just read this passage. This is again the 5th chapter and Paul is still talking about the return of Christ, a very relevant topic. As he says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, so he's talking about the end times because these are the things that the people were particularly confused about. You have no need to have anything written to you. Paul is saying, I've told you these things before, by the way. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And many of us, when we're reading this, we're thinking, okay, the return of Christ is kind of come like a thief in the night. I remember Jesus and his parables. He used to talk about this type of language. I need to apply this. I need to live a life with greater urgency. I need to start sharing the gospel frantically with my friends. I need to make sure that I'm using my time, my resources much more wisely. I need to be vigilant. I need to do X, Y, and Z. And again, I need to walk this way, talk this way. I need to focus on the dance or whatever. That is our tendency. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And again, when we hear these words that Paul is emphasizing, not only did he say these things before, but now he's putting it in writing The tendency that we have is to immediately focus on the application. Okay, wow, this thing is going to be sudden. There's going to be pain. There's going to be strife. There's going to be chaos. I need to make sure that I am in my tip-top shape. I am locked in. I am in-game. I need to make sure that I'm using my money, my time, my resources, my energy, my passions, all these things rightfully. And yes, there is part of that is appropriate. But again, we can't put the cart before the horse, so to speak, or everything is going to start crumbling together. Paul continues in verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to you will surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep. Maybe some of us were fixated on this. Okay, I need to make sure that I am awake, I am woke, all these different things. I am alert to the spiritual battle, all these different things, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for helmet, the hope of salvation. And this last line that I just highlighted, maybe for some of us are thinking, okay, I need to increase my faith in God. I need to increase my hope in God. I need to increase my love for God. I need to do X, Y, Z. I need to do all these different things. And yes, part of that is very true. Especially the way Paul phrases the highlighted portion of verse eight, where he uses military language, the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope and salvation. And many of us will know that he elaborates further on this in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about the whole attire, and all of it is in military language. Where yes, we are living in the last days. We need to be vigilant. We need to be aware. We need to truly be alert. And the way we combat this is not through military strength, not with the weapons of, you know, of, of uh, human creation, but things like faith. Hope and love. Things like being aware that Jesus is coming is going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected. And already when we think about these verses, I mean this is from scripture, we're thinking very, it's very overwhelming. (laughs) It should actually cause us to repent and I think repentance is good. It should make us question the way we live our lives, challenge the ways we've been spending our time and our money. Is it really purposeful? Are we living as if we're drunk or as if we're asleep? Or are we living as if we are children of the day where we are making most of the opportunities and the resources that God has given us? Are we truly focused on things like faith, love, and hope? Or are we focused on so many other material things especially vocational aspirations, that really are very fleeting, very transient. It's not going to last very long for any one of us. Even our careers, it's going to vanish before we know it. Are we actually focusing on the primary things in life? And in some ways, I do sense that this should challenge us, and we will take some time and repent through these things. But again, we cannot place the cart before the horse. Because I'm going to read these these same verses, but I'm going to highlight other parts of the text that are actually much more important and are actually foundational in order for us to be able to be vigilant, aware, alert, urgent, focus on the right things like faith, love, and hope. Without these foundational things, everything, the whole house, Will crumble apart. We are really just trying to figure out the choreography of the dance But we're not even listening to the music I mean it is just going to become a mess So let me clear all the highlights These are the same verses So it's not like I'm putting in other verses I'm not turning our attention to another passage These are the same verses that we read And notice that the emphasis that Paul places Is not so much our ability to to be able to do this dance, to be able to walk this way, to talk this way, or to be able to be vigilant and to be able to have a good focus on faith, hope, and love. Notice that Paul's emphasis is the reason why we're able, that we have any hope of doing these type of things, living this type of lifestyle, is because the identity that we now have in Christ. Paul doesn't say, I want you to pull up your bootstraps and get your act together and make sure that you do these things. And that's it. But Paul is saying, I want you to do these things because of your new identity in Christ. It sounds like a subtle distinction, but it is so paramount and critical that we understand this distinction. Notice, Paul says, But you are not in darkness. Notice the language of identity. Paul is not focused on walking this way, talking this way, living this way. But what Paul is saying is, remember who you are now in Christ. You are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. Because Christ has given you a new identity, you will not be, I don't know, um, surprised or overtaken by the fact that Jesus comes like a thief in the knife. You will be ready because that is your new identity in Christ. For you are all, as it says in verse 5, and remember, whenever the Bible says for, especially when Paul writes the word for, pay attention, highlight it. For, because you are all children of light, do you, under, do you notice the identity language? Because you are like this, you will live like this. Because this is your identity, because this is your foundational grounding. You can now live like this because you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness because of what Christ has done. This is our new identity. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep keep awake and be sober. And notice verse 7. Those who sleep, their identity is sleepers and therefore they're going to sleep at night. Those who get drunk, their identity are drunkards. And therefore, they're going to get drunk at night. But for us who are in Christ, Paul says, we are identities, we belong in the day. We are children of light. And therefore, we will live soberly. Therefore, we can actually live life where progressively we are growing in faith, hope, and love. And do you notice a subtle yet so critical difference between the two ways that we read this passage. Because the first way is so focused on ourselves. And yes, that might lead to some good results. I think for some of us, when we think about our high school days or our university days, we had a lot of energy. We had a lot of youthful passion. We were in a community where we saw people literally every single day. And in some ways things were so conducive and As much as God used those experiences, even myself, high school days, I have fond memories of that. University days, that's where I really just grew as a Christian. I had fond memories. But I'll be honest, as much as I love my high school, my university days, or whatever, fill in the blank days of when you felt like you were so passionate, I was misled. I was very misled into thinking that I could do this on my own into thinking that there's some kind of passion in my heart that could will me to live rightly. And we may be focused on, okay, I just need to be locked in. But Paul says, no, 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 wait, wait. Yes, these are urgent matters. Yes, last days, these are very critical things I need to impart upon you. But don't forget that the only semblance of hope, the only thing that grounds you, the only reason why I have any optimism, any hope, any confidence for you Thessalonians, is not because I think you're a passionate people, is not because I think you're obedient people, is not because I think you're just responsive, but it's because you have a new identity in Christ. You were once children of darkness, you were once children of the night, children of drunkenness. But now, in Christ you have a new identity. And because you have this new identity, you will be faithful. So I'm encouraging you, be faithful. Because of this new identity, you will make the most of your resources. And therefore I'm telling you, live with urgency because of this new identity that Christ has earned for you, you will grow in faith, hope, and love. You have a craving in your soul, in your heart. And I know that gradually, the Holy Spirit will ensure that you will put on the breastplate of faith and hope and the helmet of love, or the helmet of hope and the breastplate of faith and love. Do you notice the difference that yes, we should repent, and yes, we should take practical steps in growing these things, but it's not because of us feeling like, wow, the onus is on us, or because we feel guilty, or because we feel overwhelmed, or because we just feel like this is something we ought to do, but it's because we are actually so thankful that we have this new identity that has been secured for us in Christ, And yes, there is repentance, but there's also a tremendous amount of hope, joy, and security and assurance knowing that the power, the ability does not come from us. It comes from what Christ has done and what we're going to take a look in the remaining verses is what he is currently doing in us. Paul continues, and you know, if you think I'm making this up, really, let's read the rest of this passage because the rest of the passage Paul really shifts the attention not so much on what they need to do what the Thessalonians need to do but Paul shifts the attention yet again to what God has done and what God is going to do for the Thessalonians so let's continue again this is the very next verse I'm not manipulating verses I'm just reading it the way that is presented to us this the last verse on the screen is verse 8 the very next verse is verse 9 and again Whenever Paul, it's scripture in general, but whenever Paul uses the word for, mark that because it's important. For, because this is my hope. The reason why I have any confidence for this reason. For God has destined us. Not for wrath. He has changed not only our identity, but He has changed our destiny. And I'm going to, Tease out what that difference is And how that can apply in our practical living Is God We were destined for wrath at one point The previous verses I just read The children who sleep The children who are drunk That was our identity All of us And we've talked about this in previous sermons All of our sinful tendency Of distorting, rejecting, shutting out God Those are all expressed in various metaphors, and one metaphor is children of darkness, children of light or night, children who give themselves to drunk, drunkenness. That was all of our identity. But thankfully, what verse 9, what Paul reminds people of, is in the midst of Paul warning them of the final days, of making sure that they are able to be vigilant, all these different things, Paul emphasizes, don't forget, Not only is your identity in Christ, but God has given you a new destiny. You were once children of wrath. Every single one of us, as our brother Terry reminded, God is so infinitely holy. And because of that, there is that infinite chasm. The only logical response to that is God should just be wrathful towards sinners like us. That was our destiny. But thankfully, verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath. Instead, what has God done? Paul continues, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying is, yes, you need to be vigilant. You need to prioritize. You need to focus on faith, love, and hope. But my confidence in you being able to live like that is your new identity in Christ. And because although God could have and should have destined you to wrath, instead your destiny is something else. Your destiny is to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. And I know I preached on these verses during our um, Easter Sunday. And my emphasis at the time was a little different. The emphasis here is going to be a little different based on some of my pastoral observations, especially within our uptown community. Is Let me say something that might sound a little controversial. And that's what the question and answers are for, if you have any questions. Let me say something a little controversial. <clears throat> what does it mean for God to destine us to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? And this is supremely important. Vitally important. It doesn't mean what most people think. Okay? And when I say most people, I'm not saying hypothetical most. I'm th- I'm talking about our uptown community. It doesn't mean what most of us think. Because what most of us think when it says God destined us to obtain salvation in Jesus Christ. We have such a small view of that. We think, what does that mean? That just means God sent Jesus Christ to die on, on a cross for us. If all God did was send Jesus Christ to die for us, we will still be destined for His wrath. Because like I mentioned countless times, if all God did was wipe the slate clean and forgive us of our past sin, That's still not good enough. The very next day, we will continue to sin, as many of us experience. And I think that discourages many of us rightfully. If all God did was send Jesus to this earthly life to carry our cross, that is not good enough. We will still live a powerless life. We will still live a sin-ridden life our trajectory will still be to revert back to our sinful tendencies. There's no power in that. There's forgiveness, but there's no power. And unfortunately, many of us, we reduce salvation to such a limited view of that. It's just a small slice of the whole pie, and we think that's the gospel. No, it's not. There's still so much. What does it mean that God destined us to obtain salvation? The whole pie, the whole gamut. It's not just that Jesus died for us. It's not just that Jesus is our example. Oh boy, that is not the case. And many of us, we just look at Jesus as our example. Because Jesus did this, I need to act that way. Because Jesus does that, I need to do this. Let me tell you, that is that if that is the way you look at salvation or the gospel. I'm, I'm saying this with a heart not frustration, but heart of of burden for you, is that will lead you right back to God's wrath. As we saw in 1 Thessalonians, it's not just that God sent Jesus for us, but even our ability to submit to that truth and to believe and place our trust, not in ourselves, but in what Jesus has done for us. Even that is from God's grace. That is part of what God destined us so that we can obtain salvation. Our ability to even respond to Jesus' death. And not only did Jesus die, but he resurrected. The power that we ha- now have is Only because Jesus resurrected. And all the wonderful things that Jesus did, and I'm going to unpack that in a minute, are the same things that we can do and that have actually been attributed to us because His Holy Spirit is living in our hearts. And we talked about this with the whole distinction between heart repair and heart transplant in Ezekiel chapter 36. If you want to see it more explicitly, read Romans chapter 5 where Christ's righteousness has been imputed into us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 is another great verse where Christ is our sanctification. All these things, what does it mean? Is for God to destine us, to obtain salvation through Jesus. It's not just Jesus coming for us or Jesus being our example or just Jesus dying for us, but it's Jesus coming for us, yes, being our example, yes, dying for us, yes, resurrecting on our behalf, yes. Our ability to even place our trust in that because our sinful tendency is to always focus on ourselves, always focus on the painting and not the painter. Even our ability to do that is secured, destined by God. Every step of salvation from the very moment that God sent his one and only son to die for us to the very moment that we see that same person who died for us face to face and he will say, well done my good and faithful servant and we will finally be conformed into his image. Every single step along the way is utterly dependent upon the fact that God has destined us to obtain that salvation. It's not our ability to respond appropriately, to believe, and to place our trust in Christ. We, we are not capable of doing any of those things apart from God's grace. Even now, our ability to live by the Spirit, yes, we have been given a new heart, but even our ability to walk in that, we need God's grace. He had to destine every single aspect of our faith journey. Otherwise, we will still be doomed to destruction. We will still be doomed to His wrath. We are utterly dependent upon Him. Do we see that? And yes, it's very humbling to our ego because we want to take some part in this. But Paul makes it very clear, and the rest of Scripture makes it very clear. Every aspect of salvation from beginning to end and every little thing in between is absolutely soaked, inundated, flooded with the grace of God. The reason why I emphasize that so much is because I think a lot of the problems that we're experiencing in our relationship with God is not because you're not walking a particular way or talking a particular way or dancing the right moves. But I really think it's because we have such a small, shallow view of the salvation that has been secured for us through Jesus Christ. Many of us, we just think of it as, oh, Jesus came and now the rest is upon us. Or even that Venn diagram that I showed a couple weeks back, where it just seems like There are still two hearts, my heart and the heart of the spirit. And I just need to navigate between the two. No, the gospel is so much more comprehensive and thorough than that. You know, I know that some of us have newborns and we're not able to visit your homes because of the pandemic. But I remember when we had newborns and when all my friends had newborns, we would go to each other's houses. And it is just extraordinary. Extraordinary how meticulous certain parents can be in baby-proofing their house. I mean, every nook and cranny, things that I would have never even conceived or even imagined, they baby-proof their house. It's so thorough. And, you know, at first I'm thinking, wow, they're being a little excessive. But when I see that, I see a metaphor. Of that is the way God has secured our salvation. Every nook and cranny, everything that can possibly go wrong, God has sinner-proofed salvation. Yes, we are sinners. And yes, we should take our sins seriously. Yes, we're going to repent in a moment. But the reason why we have any hope in repentance is because of the way God has secured salvation for us. He has truly sinner-proofed it. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more closely you walk with Jesus, the more you realize you are like that baby who can think of so many creative ways to harm yourself, to put yourself in danger. And the more you place your eyes on Jesus and not yourself, the more you also equally recognize, my God has sinner-proofed this. He has thought through every nook and cranny. Things that I would have never even conceived of. He loves me so thoroughly. He loves me so comprehensively. He loves me so thoughtfully. He would know that I would sin like this. He would know that this would be my tendency. He would know that I would be addicted. And yet, He still secures salvation for me. And He has given me the steps to be able to still worship through all of that. My God is amazing. Salvation is something that I am truly not deserving of. It is something that I have utterly underestimated. I think that is really one of the primary issues that i 'm sensing within our uptown community is not appreciating god 's immense love for us, thoughtful love for us, especially in the ways that he secures salvation because we have a very small Shallow view of that. Paul continues. And for those of us who might be visiting, and this might be your first sermon you've ever heard, how did Jesus secure this? Is as our brother Terry reminded us, Jesus died for us. All of our sin, they do have consequences, especially to a holy God. And those are consequences that we cannot pay on our own thankfully Jesus Christ paid for that through his costly sacrificial death and his death really just triggered the effects of salvation I don't want to reduce it to his death like I just mentioned it's also his resurrection it's also the power of his spirit that is living in us all the different things but the death really just triggered everything and that's why Paul mentions a lot of times his death specifically. It's almost like a gateway to all the other things that Jesus has done and is currently doing and has yet to do on our behalf. And then he continues, Jesus not only died for us, but why did he die for us? So that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are dead or whether we are alive, whether we are going through high points in life or whether we feel very socially isolated, vulnerable. No matter what, no matter what season we're experiencing, the reason why He died for us is so that no matter what life brings to us, that we might live with Christ. And... Um, you know, for those of us who have been listening carefully, when we see words and phrases like what we might live with Christ, where we might be in Christ, especially Paul, what he is saying is he's talking about our union with Christ. Our identity, going back to that language of identity, our identity is no longer ourselves, our sinful selves. Our identity is now in. Christ. we are with Christ. All the things that Christ has done has been attributed to us. That's our identity. And all the things that Christ has done is also our destiny. We will be conformed to live like that, where it actually becomes a reality of our lives. And when we think about union with Christ, again, I know it's very vague and abstract. Last week we talked about union with Christ means that we'll have an eternal perspective. And we used the testimony of our sister Abby, which I thought was such a great Concrete example, and I don't know how that can translate to whatever you're going through But union with Christ is a very very practical thing It really is the heart and soul of the salvation that God has secured for us And in this passage, when I think about what does union with Christ mean in this particular passage I'm thinking of all the things that we just mentioned prior About how we do need to be vigilant We do need to be urgent. We need to be alert at His return. It's going to come unexpectedly. Where we do need to grow in faith, hope, and love. Where we do need to prioritize our resources. Yes, those are things that we will repent of in a moment. But before we do that, I want to remind us, who is the one example that embodied all those things I mentioned, of being alert, of having his priorities right, of focusing on faith, hope, and love, of utilizing his resources properly. The example is Jesus Christ. You know, We have to wonder, uh, why, why does Scripture provide so many details about Jesus' life? Um, I mean, we don't have all the details of his adolescence, his childhood, and so on and so forth. But there's still a fair amount of details about Jesus' life. If Jesus, all he were to do was to die for us, then why didn't he just come in the form of a 30-year-old man and just die for us? Or why couldn't he just die for us as a as an infant? And there are several ways of answering that question. But one way that I think is really helpful is... The life that he exemplified, perfect life, in the context of this passage, he exemplified faith, he exemplified hope, he exemplified love, he exemplified what it means to be alert. The reason why those details are included, one of the reasons, is because all the ways that Jesus exemplified that type of lifestyle have now been attributed to us because we are united with Christ. We might live with him. We are in Christ, that is our identity. When we think about Jesus, I mean, it's amazing, especially in the Gospel of John, you sense that urgency where Jesus recognizes that his time is near. He recognizes that he's gonna have to suffer and therefore he goes out of his way to teach the masses. He goes out of his way to heal the masses. He spends time so strategically and intentionally with his 12 disciples. He still makes time for the beggar, for the leper, for Lazarus, for all the different people that he meets on the road. He still takes time to spend with the children. And during that time in ancient standards, children were, they were just not even regarded as human. And yet Jesus would spend his precious limited time with them. When it comes to being alert and prioritizing, Jesus is the prime example of that. When we think about the example of putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope, who exemplifies that the most? It's Jesus. Even in his life, in his ministry, in his stardom, popularity, in his success, all those things, he did not waver. His faith was always in God. And not in humans. Not in the positive circumstances. His hope was always in the fact that he wanted to please God and not please people. I think for many of us, again, that should lead us to repentance. When we think about even in the ways that we live our own lives. And how we try so hard to establish our own reputation. And we don't even think about how does God view my heart? But going back to this passage and the example of Jesus, Jesus is the prime example of placing all of his love in the Father, in God. And that's why in the Gospels, you see it. There are so many instances where Jesus hides himself up on the mountains, praying to God, spending time with God, fellowshipping with God. His love, obviously he loved people. Obviously he had a heart of compassion for people something that exceeds all of us, but all of that paled in comparison to his uncompromising love for God himself. Why does scripture provide all those details? One of the reasons is because when we talk about union with Christ, it's not some just some weird philosophical, metaphorical, whatever. It's because all those things that Jesus has done Those acts of obedience, those acts of worship, those acts of living rightly, those things have now been attributed to us. So when God views us, our identity is now in Christ. And it is as if we live that type of life. That is our new identity. And that is also our new destiny. Because I understand that as much as God perceives us that way because we are now in Christ, in actual life circumstances, I know we don't really live that out, but that is also our destiny where the Holy Spirit is progressively and gradually making us live the same way that Jesus lived. Yes, it's not a linear path where we see results every single day, But it is a path nonetheless that the Holy Spirit has guaranteed. Again, God has destined us for this. It's not just wishful thinking. This is our destiny. Not only our identity in the way that God views us, but our destiny in the ways that the Spirit will conform us to be like Jesus in our everyday circumstances. And therefore, that's why Paul says, despite this passage feeling very overwhelming in terms of us having to be more vigilant, alert and grow in our priorities. Paul is actually teaching this to encourage them and to build each other up. Because again, as much as we need to take these practical steps, Paul is encouraged by the fact that ultimately our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the fact that our identity is in Christ, but also our destiny is Christ as well. Um, I know we talked about a lot of different things, so let me just provide, how do we respond to this passage? Uh, What are some ways that we can respond to this idea of the return of Christ? And something that we talked about last week is an eternal perspective should give us hope for today. Again, I love Abby's testimony because I felt like it really just crystallized and made concrete some of these concepts where because we know that we will be united with Christ because we know that Christ will glorify us and give us a new body and allow us to enjoy the, new he- the heavens and the new earth and all these wonderful blessings and benefits from the gospel and from this salvation. That should place our momentary everyday struggles in their proper perspective. Our story is part of a grander story that God is orchestrating and we get to be a part of that. And that should give us hope for today, for sure. Uh, But focus more on today's passage is an eternal perspective. It should lead us to repent. It really should. Because when we think about our lifestyle, and when we think about the imminent, unexpected return of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we living rightly? We have to ask ourselves, yesterday, did I live rightly? Did I live according to that? And every single one of us if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is no. Despite the new identity that Christ has given us, that he has given us through such costly means, we still live like this. Our tendency is still this way. We should repent. We should confess. We should say, I'm sorry, God. My priorities is not placing greater faith, hope, and love in you. My, actually, my faith, hope, and love is in my work. My faith, hope, and love is actually in these relationships. My faith, hope, and love is in my academic success. My faith, hope, and love are all these other things, but not in you. I have been living as if I'm asleep or I'm drunk. I haven't been making most of my time. And we should repent, for sure. But as we repent, and the reason why repentance is actually a gift, is because as we repent, we are reminded of our union with Christ. And this union with with Christ in the midst of our brokenness, humility, and repentance, it should give us tremendous confidence. Actually, this is the only confidence that there is, is that Jesus' obedience that we see in the Gospels is not only our identity, thankfully, it's been imputed into us, it's been attributed to us, but that is also our destiny. The Holy Spirit is enabling us to grow like this, step by step, that we can be more like Christ, even in his obedience, even in the ways that he was alert, prioritized, and placed all of his faith, hope, and love in God alone. Um, So before we move into this time of repentance and placing our trust in Christ, I do want to give us an opportunity, if you would like to text any messages, whether there are questions or whether there are prayer requests or prayers, feel free to do that. I also want to alert our attention to offering as well. This is another way that we respond to God's word is as we are just moved by what God has done. He destined us not for wrath, but to obtain salvation. And as I mentioned, it is every step, every nook and cranny. He has secured that for us. One way that we respond is to offer up our lives and a symbolic representation that is our financial resources as well. So please refer to that link. Uh, But for everybody else, uh, I want us to come uh, to be in your posture of response, whether you want to stand, whether you want to kneel. And before we pray about anything, I just want us to have an opportunity to be reminded of the spiritual reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your identity, I don't care how many, when the last time you've done a quiet time, or how many times you fell into that same sin. I don't care about any, God doesn't care about any of those things. God is just asking. do you place your trust in what Christ has done for you? Do you believe in that? And if you place your trust in that, your identity is in Christ. What does that mean? according in this passage the thing that we're focusing on is all the things that jesus has done has been attributed to you when god views you he views you as if he is viewing viewing his son jesus christ so much joy so much love so much pride not only is that your identity but that is your destiny that because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in your heart, you may not see the changes, you may not see the results, but slowly but surely, because our God is, like Paul mentioned, uh, our Deacon Paul, the author and perfecter of our faith, He is guaranteeing us that Jesus' lifestyle, His worshipful mentality, is not only our identity, but our destiny as well. I just want to give us some time Just soak in that uh, before you move into a time of repentance.